Welcome to the Weekend University Podcast, and this is your host, Niall McKeever. The Weekend University was set up to make the best psychology lectures available to the general public. To do this, we organized lecture days, where attendees get a full day of talks from leading psychologists, authors, and university professors. If you'd be interested in getting early access to our latest psychology lectures and discounts on our live events, you can sign up for the early access list at theweekenduniversity.com forward slash podcast. That's theweekenduniversity.com forward slash podcast. In this episode, we're joined by Dr. Benjamin Hardy. Dr. Hardy is an organizational psychologist, entrepreneur, TED speaker, and best-selling author with a pretty interesting story to tell. He went from being broke and sleeping on his cousin's sofa at the age of 20 to completing a PhD, building a seven-figure business, and becoming the number one writer in the world on Medium.com. Ben and his wife Lauren adopted three children from the foster system in February 2018, and one month later, Lauren got pregnant with twins who were born in December 2018. So almost overnight, he went from a situation of having no kids to suddenly having five. His first book, Willpower Doesn't Work, debunks the willpower myth and explores how proactively shaping your environment is the key to achieving your goals and thriving in today's fast-paced, information-overloaded world. His latest book is called Personality Isn't Permanent, and it was released this week. It explores the latest groundbreaking research in the psychology of personality and how you can use this information to design your ideal future and break free from self-limiting beliefs and false cultural myths. This is a game-changing book that has the potential to dramatically improve the life of anyone who reads it. You can find out more about Benjamin's work and his books on his website at www.benjaminhardy.com. Hope you enjoy the show. All right, Ben, welcome to the show. To get started, could you just tell us a bit more about your background? Yeah, I'll just give a little bit of backstory. I don't want to go too, too far into it, but um, so I have a PhD in organizational psychology. Um, I studied entrepreneurship specifically as well. Entrepreneurship and transformational leadership were what I studied during my PhD. Uh, I actually studied the difference between wannabe entrepreneurs and real entrepreneurs. That was something interesting to me about four or five years ago when I was first starting my PhD program. And then uh, a lot of crazy stuff happened during my PhD program. So I, I did it from basically 2014 to 2019. It's a five-year program. Um, during that time, we you know, adopted three kids from the foster system. We had twins. Uh, you know, I became a professional writer. My blogs were read, were, were read a lot. And, um, you know, it was just, uh, you know, I've just spent a lot of time studying human transformation and human learning because uh, I went through a lot of trauma myself, grew up in a rough environment. Um, when my parents got divorced when I was 11, my, my father became a drug addict and uh, just, you know, I just went through a lot of learning and ultimately a lot of change. And, Obviously, we can talk about whatever directions you want. I'm just kind of throwing a, throwing a bunch of information right now because it's a broad, you know, you know, it's hard to explain yourself in five seconds. But um, yeah, you know, I just want to want to help people, you know, because I've I've been helped a lot and just love love learning. Very cool. Well, one of the things I heard in your TED talk was that there was a time in your life. I think it was actually one year where you had three foster kids and then you had two two uh, twins around that time as well. I think you might've been doing your PhD around that time as well. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was in 2018. So, in t- so, so, so to give a little background, in 2015, we actually, which was during my first year of my PhD program, we, uh, we got three foster kids. We had them, you know, they're three siblings. And over the next three years, so from 2015 to 2018, we fought the foster system, you know, in, in courts. Because the legal, I mean, just because there's so many, so many crazy laws. But in 2018, we were able to adopt these three kids, which was amazing. Um, and we didn't know if that was going to happen. And, and literally one month after we adopted these kids. So we adopted them in February of 2018. One month later, my wife got pregnant with twins. Uh, and so that was crazy. And so in December of 2018, we had two twin girls who are now 15 months old. So it's, uh, you know, 2018 was a crazy year. We literally went officially from zero to five kids in one year. And what I find really interesting about what you were saying in this talk is that this actually brought your writing career on. This was actually a major motivator. This was like sort of like fuel for you almost, you know, and it seems almost counterintuitive, like you had all this extra responsibility, yet this is what ultimately you're saying has helped you to thrive you know could you talk a bit more about that and how important you think responsibility is in 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 growth yeah yeah i'll i'll uh, i'll tell this the, the short story that i tell in that ted talk because it's it really helps me understand this idea and this principle so the story that i tell is of a man and i heard this story from a guy named david bednar but um who's an educator and a religious leader but basically the story is uh, a man in his truck, and this was, I think, back in the 70s. Um, he wanted to test out his new pickup truck, you know, and I think he lived out in like, you know, somewhere in the US, like in the Rocky Mountains where it snows a lot. And so he drove up the mountains, up in the snow, and he was just going to test his truck. And he was a little overconfident in this thing. Anyways, he ended up getting stuck in some really deep snow and he was trying to peel out his tires and couldn't get himself out. And so he didn't know what to do. Like, and this was back again before cell phones. So it's not like he could just call home. Like he was out there in the, like up in the mountains by himself. So ultimately what he ended up doing, you know, was getting out and he started chopping down a tree and cutting up firewood. And he, you know, he stuck up while he was just waiting and just hoping that someone would drive by so he could flag them down. But ultimately no one came and he ended up, you know, chopping up, a, you know, chopping up a tree and putting it in the back of his truck totally filling up the bed of his truck and then no one came and it was getting darker and darker, colder and colder. So he got in his car, you know, turned on the car, said a prayer and then um, tried to back out of the, of the snow. And actually because of the weight of the wood, he was able to get traction, which ultimately allowed him to get out. He wouldn't have been able to get traction in his tires, but because of the weight Mm. of all that wood, he was able to get out. And so the idea is, is that you need a load of wood or he needed a heavy load to actually get traction and move forward or get out of the bad situation or to move forward. And and the principle is the same for what I felt in my own life. Like for years I'd wanted to be a writer, but I didn't really have any, you know, I didn't have a load on, you know, on me. I didn't, you know, and this is what we're talking about as far as responsibility, like a, a, a load of responsibility. Like I, I had a lot of time and when you have a lot of time and you have a lot of freedom and flexibility, it's really easy to waste that time. And so once we got these three foster kids, it was seriously, from my perspective, equivalent to the load of wood in the back of that truck. Like it was, it was in my life, like these three kids were a heavy load for me and my wife. Like it was intense, but interestingly, and kind of, as you said, counterintuitively, it really gave me traction. It gave me motivation. It gave me inspiration. It, it, it created urgency. And so I, you know, very shortly after we got these kids, 
I started waking up early and started writing and started moving on with my goals and getting more committed. Um, and it's amazing how you can get committed in life. And it's amazing once you truly commit to a future and commit to what you want. And when you just start waking up early and start rocking towards your goals, uh, things can change, you know, and seriously within like three or four months of writing online, like my blogs were blown up being read by millions of people. And I just had a level of urgency and excitement towards my future. And I, I give a lot of credit to that load of responsibility that I had, which was my kids, which, you know, you wouldn't have expected, you know, you'd expect that actually you'd be more overwhelmed or you would procrastinate your dreams even more. But for me, it was just like just the traction I needed to like really get focused and committed. So then what advice would you, would you give to someone like, let's say like someone that uh, wants to be a writer or they've got a dream and they're not, you know, they're not taking action on it. Like, would you tell them to actively go seek out different responsibilities that will sort of give them a heavier load or like, what, what practical things can someone like that actually do? Yeah. I mean, you know, this is a unique situation because I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, becoming a foster parent leads to becoming a professional writer like that, you know, that, that, that'd be bad science, but (laughs) you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of foster parents out there who aren't professional writers. And so I, I can't just say, but, but I will say that, you know, there's a quote that I think is true that, you know, there's a, there's that saying that if you want something done, get a busy person to do it, Mm. you know, because if, if there's, if there's people who are not spending their time well, then they're going to keep wasting more and more time. And I think when you have less time, because you're focused on really important things, you know, in my case, you know, I, I saw a lot of value in, in investing my time in these kids, even though initially it took some time to adjust to that. But if you have all the time in the world to do something, it's Parkinson's law. You know, Parkinson's law is the idea that work, work expands to fill the time you give it. If you have all the time in the world to live your dreams, then you may not get to them anytime soon. But if, you, if, you, if, you're, if you're busy doing important stuff, but you still haven't dreamed, you know, big dreams, then you're going to have to learn to use the time you've got. And you're going you're gonna to learn to value an hour here or an hour there rather than, you know, if you got an hour or five, you know, you can blow it on YouTube. Like once you have less of that time and once you get really committed to the, to your future. And I, and I think that there are things that can lead you to getting committed to your future. Responsibility is one of those things that wakes you up. Like it kind of woke me up to have these kids. Like I was a little bit more lackadaisical about my time than I should have been. And I think that anyone who wants to be a professional at something like a writer, an artist or a musician, or just an entrepreneur you've got to wake up to the reality of time and about how time's going to slip away from you if you don't, if you don't use it well. And if you use it well, you can create more of it. Um, and so I think responsibility, the key of it is, is that it wakes you up. It wakes you up to stop being so wasteful with your time and with your resources and with your energy and with your talent. And so I think that that's really the key is, is that I needed that experience to wake me up to the reality of the situation. I then saw an hour here or an hour there as not something I could blow on YouTube watching highlights or something or like sitting and just scanning the internet. But I'm like, I've got this hour. I can write this article. And every time you do that, every time you, you, you invest a little bit in your future, you've made yourself more free in the future. Like every blog post I wrote, it created freedom in my future. It created increased income and success and confidence in my future self. And so you know, you can either waste your time, which makes your future self less successful, or you can invest that little bit of time 
because you want to have your future self be more successful and more free. So it's, it's powerful to just get woken up to that reality. hundred percent. Um, so in your new book, personality is impermanent. Um, one of the things you talk about is just the importance of that purpose actually shapes personality. And what I want to ask you before we get into the book is, you know, why did you write this book? What was your purpose? What was your purpose behind writing this? I know your, your last book, Willpower Doesn't Work, it was, it was sort of dedicated to your brother who wasn't really taking action towards, or he was, he was trying to do everything with willpower and not really thinking about his environment. For this book, why did you write it? Yeah, I appreciate that question. Um, I wrote it for a lot of reasons. Um, firstly, I, I, I read the book, The Body Keeps the Score. Not sure if you've come across that one. Bessel, it's a big book. Bessel van der yeah, Kolk, yeah. I came across that book, and, and, and that's obviously kind of the authoritative book on trauma at the moment. And that really woke me up to the power of how trauma shapes personality, traumatic experiences from the past. And specifically what Bessel talks about in that book is that trauma creates a frozen personality. And really, you're frozen in the past. And also trauma destroys imagination. And imagination is key for, you know, imagining a future self and for setting goals. <laughs> like, um, and so those, those insights were pit, big for me. But also, you know, you have to realize I've got a PhD in psychology. The number one subject in psychology is personality. So I had spent the last 10 years almost hearing tons of different theories on personality. And, you know, there's so many different theories on it it's honestly a mess. Like it's honestly hard to understand what it is um, because all of these conflicting ideas. And, and so there was a few ideas that really hit me while I was doing my PhD and then ultimately reading Bessel's book, which led me to writing personalities of permanent, but a few of the ideas that really hit me. Um, one is, is that in psychology, the most, one of the most dominant ideas is that the biggest predictor of the future is the past. Like if you want to predict someone's future behavior is all you have to do is look at their past behavior and chances are you can see how they're going to act in the future. And that's really a key way of how psychologists understand personality is if you want to know how someone's going to act in a given situation is all you need to know is how they've acted in similar situations in the past. Um, And so that idea is interesting to me and, uh, as someone who's growth oriented, as someone who wants to change, I don't necessarily want my, my future to look exactly like my past. And so that idea, although it, it actually is pretty true, I don't want it to be true for me. And I don't think it's, and I think if you're someone who's growing, you don't want it to be exactly true for you as well. You don't want your past to dictate your future, but for most people that is the case. And so one of my big questions was, well, why? why are people so predictable? Like, why are people, why are people's pasts predicting their future? Uh, and so, you know, Bessel's book gave me one answer. And one of those answers was trauma, that trauma leads people to being, you know, going through predictable cycles, unhealthy, predictable cycles. Um, obviously there's other ways as well. Um, so I wanted to understand the why behind that, that problem or that situation. And to be honest with you, the main views of that why are really bad, you know, and I break them down in the first chapter of this book. I call them the myths, but how people generally explain why people are so predictable um, or why people are so consistent and their personalities are so 
seemingly unchangeable is because the idea is just your, your personality is who you are. Like that's just what you're born the way you are. If you're born an introvert, you're going to be an introvert. Uh, you can't change that. And your personality is unchangeable. It's, it's innate, it's inflexible, and it's just who you are. And you have to accept that. And your job is just to figure out who you are and accept who you are and then just build the life that's most comfortable for you. Like that's, that's kind of the common view and common explanation as to why people are just the way they are. And I, I found all of those ideas, first off, to be non-scientific, but also to be incredibly limiting. And so I just felt like personality was the topic that I needed to slam to like really help people understand what's holding them back. Very cool. Um, one of those myths I remember reading in the book was about you start the chapter or you start the section with a quote from George Bernard Shaw. And it's, it basically starts that life is not about finding yourself. It's about creating yourself. And there's this whole myth in our culture that you've got to find your authentic self. You've got to find your passion. Whereas you're arguing that it's more about creating yourself. And I think this is, this is a far more empowering way to look at yourself and to look at the world because you can, yeah, you've more, you've more options that way, you know, could you talk a bit more about that? Yeah. I mean, if, I think the idea of finding yourself is a really bad idea. <laughs> um, now you find information, you know, right now we're, we're all limited based on what we're exposed to, you know, so your knowledge is, is different from my knowledge because you've had different experiences and things like that. And so there are many things that you discover in the world. Um, but ultimately, when it comes to yourself, like we all have choices. Like I can literally choose to just turn off this interview right now and walk away. And you'll just be sitting there and be like, why did Ben just walk away? Like I can choose to do that. And so I think that there's a, a, a realization that we must all come to that we are actually making lots of choices and that those choices determine who we become and that we can make choices. I can choose to go to the gym right now. Like I can choose, I mean, I, I probably shouldn't given the coronavirus situation and it's actually closed, but like I can choose to eat healthy. I can choose to go and like pound a whole carton of ice cream. Like, and, and it's just the realization that the choices we make influence who we become. And so once you realize that, then you stop focusing on who you think you are and you start focusing on the choices you can make and who you can become. And that then puts the responsibility on you for who you are rather than on something else, you know, something that you can point to, whether it be traumatic experiences, whether it be your DNA, like once you realize that you can make choices, then you, then you can decide what you want to do. Uh, and that, that's just a, a far more empowering, but it's also a far more honest way of looking at life because we all make choices every day. I mean, you're choosing to do this podcast with me. Anyone who's listening to it is actively choosing to do it. And so then you have to ask yourself, well, what should I choose or what would I like to choose? When you look back on the past, let's say the past decade or so, what choices have you made that have been most pivotal in getting you on, onto the trajectory, trajectory you're on? Because you've got quite a bit of momentum built up. You know, you're the number one writer on medium.com. You've 400,000 email subscribers. You're, this, is your, this is your third book now? This is my second, but I have two books coming out this year. Yeah, so so Personality comes out in uh, June, and then uh, another book, which I'm co-authoring with a guy named Dan Sullivan. That book comes out in October. That book's called Who Not How. But um, yeah, so, and I'm not the number one writer on that platform anymore, but I was for a long time. You know, three or four years, I was the top writer there. And I made, I might just pop right back on top again, because I'm going to start blogging like crazy once I finish writing Who Not How, which I'll be done with in about a week. 
Cool. But yeah, so what were some of the pivotal choices that got you on this sort of path? Would you say? Yeah. Um, one was leaving my routine environment, leaving my house. You know, I had to leave my family when I was 19 years old, closer to 20 actually. And I went and served a church mission, like a humanitarian church mission and dedicated a couple of years, honestly, to community service and to just serving other people, helping people from bad backgrounds, um, sharing, you know, inspiration with people. Like that was really big for me. Um, cause at the time, you know, I barely graduated high school, had no direction in my life, dropped out of community college after a week cause I had no skills. Um, and so I was kind of doing nothing with my life after high school, playing world of Warcraft all day. And so going on that mission and leaving and, and just going for it really allowed me to reinvent myself. It allowed me to be in a new place with a new purpose around new people and to open up. Uh, it was on that experience that I started journaling and reading lots of books and getting ad good advice from leaders and, and just letting go of my past um, and reframing it and kind of give, you know, forgiving my family and stuff like that. So that was huge. That, that honestly put me on an insane trajectory as far as like when I came home, it was really easy for me to um, fly through school. You know, I finished my undergrad start to finish in three years um, and then did the PhD. And so that was, that was big for me. I mean, a big, a big aspect of that though, I'll say is, is when I came home from that experience two years later, you know, I, I met with all of my friends and stuff in high school and like even my family. And, and the thing that I quickly realized is that they could not comprehend or see the new me. Like is mm -hmm. all they could see was the person that they had known for like 10 years. And that was not me anymore. And they couldn't see that. Like they talked to me the same way like we would have talked back in high school. And I was like, I just gone through all of this stuff. Like, and so I, I, it, it, it hit me very fast. And I talk about this a lot and willpower doesn't work, but it hit me very fast that I just, I, I couldn't stay in that situation um, because I would be trapped in my former identity and I no longer wanted to be that person. I no longer identified with that person. And I was really committed to creating a better future. And so I had to surround myself with different people and stay focused on a purpose. And so that was, that was really big for me. Um, obviously the decision to get married was big. Like the person I married was, is amazing. Like, I, I mean, I dated a lot of people when I was going through college and, and I, I mean, I, I married someone who is amazing. You know, she, she'd been through a lot of trauma herself before me. She was in an abusive marriage um, for like three years. And like, she'd been through a lot. She'd been through a lot of travel. She comes from an amazing family. And so like that choice opens up a lot for me. I would not have five kids if I wasn't married to my wife. Like she's the one who can handle that. And, uh, and she gives me a lot of freedom and a lot of, you know, strength and, and ability to pursue huge goals. Like I, I'm a, I'm a big believer that you need various forms of stability in your life so that you can then go out and pursue big things that put you in situations of non-stability or uncertainty. Like I have a lot of certainty in my life around the core areas of my life, which allows me to then kind of take huge leaps of faith in kind of my goals or my dreams because I have that certainty and that stability. And actually that's something that Kobe Bryant talked about a lot. Kobe Bryant, he talked about when he first started playing basketball, he was terrible. I don't know if you've heard this story. No. So he, he was horrible when he first started playing basketball. And after his first season, I think he scored zero points. Uh, like when he was like 12 years old or something like that. And at the end of the season, he was crying to his dad 
And his dad said, Kobe, like, listen to, and his dad was a former professional basketball player, but his dad said, Kobe, uh, you know, you've got to realize whether you've scored 60 points or zero, I still love you. And so, you know, don't worry about it. And so what, what that ha- what happened for Kobe was he realized that his, his dad's love was secure and that, you know, whether he failed or not, like his dad would still love him. And so that gave him permission to fail. It gave him permission to be courageous. And so then he started taking more shots, missing more shots. And obviously you've got to miss shots to learn how to make them. And so he started to be more courageous and ultimately a lot more aggressive because he had that stability, you know, in that key relationship. And ultimately that led him to becoming brilliant at what he did. So I'd say that, but I would say there's two other big choices that I've personally made. And none of these are the exact choices you have to make, but I think that, you know, these are, there are pivotal decisions you make that totally radically in a lot of ways determine or shift your trajectory. Um, like when I went on that big mission experience, like it's not, maybe it, it may not be a mission experience for you, but it's, it's, but I knew that in leaving, I was going to change my life. Um, now you might not need to leave your home, but what do you, you know, there's something you could do that would be powerful enough that you know, it's going to change your trajectory. I mean, even becoming a foster parent was that for me, even going into a PhD program was that for like, I had a lot of people tell me not to do a PhD. And even when I was in my PhD and my blog started blowing up, people are like, why don't you quit that stupid program? Like you don't need it anymore. Like, you know, you're an entrepreneur anyways. Why don't you, why do you need this thing? But like me staying and finishing that is really going to, be huge for positioning me for a long time and differentiating me against all like the, um, you know, quote thought leaders out there. And so, um, you know, I I just think that there's various big decisions that you can make that really put you on a track and, and distinguish you from, from the masses. And, and anytime you can make one of those big ones where you can see that in 10, 20, 30 years from now, it's going to still pay off. Uh, I say you take those. Very cool. Uh, one of the things you talk about in the book is uh, the three sources of your goals. And I think they are desire, exposure, and confidence. And I find it really interesting what you're saying about um, desire. Like we sort of think that desire is something that you just kind of have, whereas you seem to be saying that it's something that you can cultivate and it's something that we should cultivate, you know? And what are your thoughts on that? And how can people like choose the right things to want, like choose things that are going to be that their future self are going to going to benefit from, if that makes sense. Well, here's a question for you. How long have you been doing podcasts? Well, this is the first one we've done in a long time. The reason we're doing podcasts is because we've had to shut, we, we do live events you see in London and obviously mm-hmm. with the coronavirus situation, um, we have to just keep, keep producing content and keep, keep the thing going, you know? So um, this is the first one in probably about a year and a half. So, but how long have you been doing them? Uh, we've been releasing a podcast every week for the past probably year and a half, two years. Okay. Do you like doing? Like, I'm sure you like doing it. But is that would you would you consider doing podcasts as some form of a desire for you? Yeah, big time. Okay. So here's a question for you: What about five years ago? Did you desire doing podcasts? No. No. So that's a totally new desire, right? Where did it come from? Um, I think I started listening to podcasts probably and I was, I was exposed to interesting people through podcasts, you know? And so just, I'm just literally trying to walk you through this. So at what point did you go from exposure to desire where you're like, maybe I should do this? How, how, you know, just think about that. What, what triggered that you think? 
Um, I think I was working, I was working for a startup at the time and I just really wasn't enjoying what I was doing. And then I, I got a coach and he was basically tr- trying to get me like, well, what, what would you be really interested in doing? Like what, if you could, if you could build your life and your working life the way you wanted it, what would each day look like? You know, when I wrote it out and one of the things I, like, I came up with was I'd, I'd love to be doing a podcast where I get to interview interesting people and, and learn from them, you know? So that was, that was kind of like that. So you, you thought about it and you stated it and you threw it out there, but at, what, at, at a certain point you had to fuel that desire. You had to start doing it and then the desire grew. Like initially it was like a little bit of imagination. You're like, yeah, I think I'd like to do this or this would be cool or this would be interesting. Um, but then you fueled it, right? And you, mm. you ultimately chose to keep doing this and you're still choosing to do it. And you could choose to do something else. And so I, I think that the big key here is this. This is a really important insight that I think your listeners really need to understand when it comes to choosing who you want to become. So think about yourself for a minute. We've already talked about that five years ago, you didn't necessarily desire doing podcasts, you know, because maybe you didn't know about them or, or because, you know, you were interested in other things at the time. Maybe you had other goals or other perspectives. So there's, there's a crucial thing that is key here. And this is pretty dominant now in identity and and, and personality research, but it's key to know that your current self is not the same person as your former self, Mm -hmm. right? Who you were four or five or 10 years ago is not actually the same person you are today. Today, you have a different situation. You have different goals. You, you know, you have different relationships. You have a different context and your future self is also different than your current self. Like it's not the same person. Your future self is going to have different goals, a different situation, different priorities. And so your personality in a lot of ways is based on what you prefer, what you, what your preferences are, but also what you tolerate, what you're willing to deal with. Um, and over time you stop being willing to deal with things that you used to deal with. Like me for an, ex- as an example, I used to, I used to be fine, you know, <laughs> like getting on lots of phone calls, let's just say with people and giving advice, like, you know, or whatever, whatever it was. I mean, just, there were certain things that I used to be fine doing that I'm no longer am willing to do. You know, I no longer tolerate certain things. Um, and I think, but also I, 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 I no longer prefer the things that I used to prefer. And, and, and your future self is not going to prefer things that you currently prefer. Like, especially if you want to grow and develop and change, like there are certain things that you're totally fine with right now that your future self is not going to be fine with. They're going to be focused on hopefully different and better things. And so it's just important to realize that your preferences aren't permanent. Like your preferences change over time. And then you can start to think more intentionally about, well, what, what should you want or what would you like to want or what would be more powerful to want? You might not enjoy or want to go to the gym. You might not want to be healthy. You know, I'm not speaking to you directly, but I'm just talking to anyone broadly. Um, But maybe your future self does like maybe your future self really, you know, emphasizes health or they emphasize, um, you know, learning or mentoring or whatever they, whatever they, and so, it, this is where you start to have to become intentional and to think, well, what kind of person would I like to be? You know, I might not want what my future self wants now, but in order to get there, I've got to learn to want that. Like if I'm broke right now and I, and I, and I tolerate being broke and, and, you know, not, not having freedom of time and money, but if my future self has those things, like if they, if they don't tolerate being broke, like if they, if they, you know, are committed to, financial or, you know, successful abundance in, in money, then I've got to learn to, to, to stop wanting what I currently want and learn how to want what my future self wants. I mean, it's lit. You can train yourself to want anything, you know, and you can train your, it's, it's like literally 
developing tolerances. Like, you know, they say that various things are an acquired taste, you know, like the first time you drink beer, you might not like it, but you can train yourself to love it. Right. And you can train yourself to love podcasts. You can, you know, you can train yourself to love movies. You can train yourself to love anything, honestly, as weird as that sounds. And so in realizing that fact, you've got to start to think about who your future self is or who you want them to be. And then you need to learn to want what they want, which is definitely not what you want right now. You don't want it or else you'd have it. No, you are essentially saying, you're saying in the book as well, that you should literally view your future self as a separate person, like as a different person than you are currently. Is that, is that right? You need to, because they are a different person. Um, there's two, there's two crucial, crucial insights about that. And and this is not just coming from me. This is coming from literally people who study identity and research on this. So when you, first off, it is just a dead fact that your future self is not the same person as you are today. They're going to be different. I can state with the fact that I'm not the same person I was five years ago. You know, five years ago, I was a guy in my first year of my grad program with zero kids. Now I'm a guy with a PhD and a professional writer with five kids. Uh, do you think I see the world differently than a guy who had zero kids and who didn't have any money and was just still going to college? Like I am, I see the world fundamentally differently and I've gone through a lot and I've been around a lot in the last five years. Uh, there's certain things I see the same way, but not, there's certain things I don't as well. And, uh, and so, you know, your future self should be just as different from your current self as your current self is from your former self, especially if you've gone through a lot of change. And so if your future self is different from who you currently are, and hopefully you don't plateau, hopefully, you know, there's actually a lot of good research, uh, especially from the Harvard psychologist, Daniel Gilbert, where people, people assume that who they are right now is who they're always going to be. Even if they can, if, even if they can acknowledge that they've actually changed a lot in the last 10 years, like you could acknowledge and look back and say, wow, I'm pretty different than I was 10 years ago. But even if you acknowledge that, people often think, well, but yeah, but I'm still not going to change that much in the future because who I am now is who I really am. And so what Dr. Gilbert says is, is that human beings are works in progress that mistakenly think they're finished. And, and that's just garbage. Like your future self better be different than your current self. You know, so Elaine de Button, the British philosopher, you know, do you know Elaine de Button? Yeah. He's freaking cool. Uh, he said, if you're not embarrassed by who you were 12 months ago, you didn't learn enough. And I love that quote. And, and that's true in a year from now. If you're not embarrassed by who you are right now, next year, then you didn't learn enough. Um, and so there's two key things right here. One is, is that, and this is from Hal Hirschfeld. He's a UCLA uh, identity researcher. But he said that it's really good to distinguish your future self as a different person because it allows you to make better decisions here and now. Rather than saying, what would I want? It's what would they want? What would my future self want? You know, what would they want me to do right now? Because if they're in this amazing position, if my future self, like, let's just, I'll just use myself as an example. I want to sell 10 million copies of this book. And so if my future self is really in that situation, what would they want me to do right now? Right. Mm-hmm. That now I'm asking myself, not what would I want to do? Cause what I want to do is go and sit down and just kick it and watch YouTube videos. But what would they want me to do? What, what decisions would they have me make? Because they're a different person. They've got a different perspective. And so what advice would they give me? They're not me. And it's actually, you know, getting advice from your future self is not like that novel of an idea. A lot of people have talked about getting advice from your future self. Like, you know, they can give you better advice than your current self can give you. (laughs) Um, But also there's another key aspect of this. And there's a concept called deliberate practice. Deliberate practice is, you know, Malcolm Gladwell popularized it as the 10,000 hour rule. 
But basically, it's, it's the idea that in order to actually get completely a high level of expertise at something, you have to engage in a certain type of training or, or knowledge or education. So going to the gym and exercising and doing the same workout routine every single day with no goal doesn't make you stronger and better. You just are going to the gym and you're doing the same routine over and over. It's essentially you on autopilot. Like it's just because you're doing it out of routine. That's not how you get good at something. Um, researchers have found that there's a certain type of training and practice. They call it deliberate practice that leads to transformational learning. And the only way to engage in that type of learning is if you have a clear future goal and a few and a clear future identity in mind that has the skills you're trying to develop. So if you're trying to become like a world-class speaker, you've got to actually see in your mind, visualize yourself as a world-class speaker and then go through the type of training or process that would get you there. So you can't even become someone intentionally with and go through the type of learning and training and process to get there if you don't have a future self in mind that has the skills you have. Yeah, and that's very interesting. Um, something I want to ask you about is the role that peak experiences can play in in developing yourself as a person and how you engineer, like it's sort of like, it seems like peak experience or something that kind of happen every so often, but you seem to consciously design these into your, into your routine almost, you know, cause so could you maybe talk about how you uh, consciously engineer peak experiences in your own life and how they can be used as a tool for, for growth? Yeah, absolutely. Let me, let me give it some form of a working definition. Um, you know, so Abraham Maslow, he's the guy who coined the, you know, the framework for self-actualization. Uh, I think he also coined the term peak experience. But peak experiences are essentially aha moments. They're moments where you learn something and where you begin to see the world differently. So there's a quote from Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. He said, a mind that is stretched by a new experience can never go back to its former dimensions. And so what a peak experience is, is essentially it's a pivotal experience. It's a moment when you, you see the world a little bit differently. You know, you, you have a learning moment or you, you, it really sets in like who you want to be or like you, you let go of something, some limiting thing that you've been holding on to. Um, it's really just an experience that stretches you a little bit. And from my experience, those types of experiences, they build confidence and they build flexibility. So like the more of those types of peak experiences you can have, um, the less you hold on to old ways, the less dogmatic you are and less narrow and black and white you are in your thinking. You're, you're stretched out. So you see the world in a more nuanced and a more powerful fashion. So you become a lot more flexible as a thinker. And by the way, this is the exact opposite of trauma. Like trauma creates emotional rigidity. It leads you to black and white thinking. Whereas peak experiences, they lead you to, uh, you know, gratitude, awe, appreciation, but they also lead you to, you know, a sense of confidence and, and willingness to try new things. Um, you know, they, in order to have a lot of these, you kind of have to experience novelty. Like it, part of it's being exposed to new things or even just exposed to new perspectives. Um, they use these types of experiences. They usually happen, you know, for the, for the average person, they just rarely occur because of life events. You know, like you, you go through enough time, you're going to, you're going to have a few aha moments. But if you're living intentionally towards specific goals and you're making progress towards those goals, you're going to have a ton of these things because you're going to be putting yourself in new experiences. You're going to be learning. You're going to be failing. You're going to be trying new things. You're going to be reading new things. You're going to be, you know, you're just, these types of experiences just become normal. And I actually think that they should happen every single day if you're living intentionally and if you're moving forward, you should be having moments every day where you're like, yeah, I can do more. I can do differently. You know, like I don't have to be that same person I was. Um, and so 
they are things that you can engineer into your life, um, but they require intention. They require that you're actually moving. If you're living on autopilot, which is essentially living subconsciously, which is just living reactively and kind of in the herd mentality, you're not going to have these very much because you're in order to have these type of experiences, you, you have to be conscious. You have to be moving forward and trying new things, exposing yourself to new things, um, failing, um, learning. I mean, it's really just another word for learning. Yeah. Um, it's slightly off topic, but uh, another thing you mentioned is about the importance of having uh, one big specific goal, like this one big thing you're, you're going towards to organize your behavior. Like everything's kind of going towards this one thing. And you talk about the English Rowan team and they had a question during the nineties where it was like, everything was put through the filter of, will this make the boat go faster? Something like that, you know? And can you talk about the importance of setting one big specific goal to just go towards, you know? I think that can be a powerful thing for people. It's huge. It's huge. Uh, Let me start with, so it it really influences a lot of things. First off, it clarifies your identity and it also, and it really enhances motivation. And it, and it, it, and so let me, let me kind of explain this. So first off, if you're wanting to create a new future, becoming a new person, you do start with identity. And that identity is that of your future self. Who is it ultimately that you want to become? Who is it you genuinely want to become? Um, kind of like what your coach asked you. You know, what would you love to be doing if you had your choice and you weren't afraid of failing and you weren't afraid of what other people thought? Like, what would you actually choose if you could choose it? Um, so you start with that identity. And obviously then you would want to narrate that, you know, into a story because story shapes identity, you know? And so telling people about what you want is pretty bold and courageous, but ultimately in order to become that future self, you now have to actually set tangible targets. You need a goal. Um, And what I have found is that the more focused you can be, the more motivation you'll have because motivation requires a clear goal a clear path to getting there and then building the confidence that you can get it like in order to have a lot of confidence you need you need simplicity and focus that's why one goal is really powerful if you have too many separate goals then then it's just complex and it pulls in different directions you're not getting momentum and so your motivation is going to be lacking and so it's really powerful and obviously we all have multiple dimensions in our lives and so we all can have multiple goals, but when you're really trying to organize your life and trying to get a ton of momentum, it's powerful to ask yourself. So once you've defined your future self, you know, and that type of who they are and what their circumstances are to ask yourself, what is one thing? What is one goal that if it was accomplished would allow this to be possible? My future self, you know, like what, what is one outcome that if it occurred would allow me to be the person I want to be? And so you've got to probably educate yourself a little bit to get that thing. So like one, as an example for myself, when I was in my first year as a PhD student, my, my future self at the time, which is not the person I was, this again was the first year of my PhD. I was just a graduate student, never written a blog post, didn't have a website. But my future self was a professional author. That was the person I wanted to be. They were, I wanted to be making six figures at least. I wanted to be able to provide for my family. I wanted to be a traditionally published author with one of the big New York publishers. And part of why I wanted this, and it's good to have the why, and also it's good to define the circumstances. I wanted to have the freedom to be able to work when I wanted and also to have plenty of time because I then had kids, you know, foster kids. And I was like, I want to have time to be able to focus on my kids when I need to and support my wife. But I also want to be writing these types of books. And so I was defining the full situation. And then I said, well, what's 
what, 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 what would need to happen in order for that to actually be possible or for that to become reality for me? And so I then had to ask a lot of people questions. I had to do a lot of education. I had to Google a lot of things. How do you become a professional author? How do you make, you know, six figures writing, et cetera. Like I had to actually start exposing myself to the information that I wanted and actually educating myself and maybe calling like agents and publishers and asking questions, maybe other writers and things like that, professional authors and asking questions and blogging, you know, reading blogs and stuff. And ultimately what I landed on was this. If I were to get a six figure book contract, a book deal from one of the major publishers. If that was true, then, then my future self could be a reality. And so that became my number one major goal. And it's like, once I had that, then you can reverse engineer it. You can figure out how do I do that? Like, you know, and you can Google it. How do you get a six figure book deal? You know, or you can ask professional authors or agents and that's where you can then develop a process. You can only develop a meaningful process if you have a clear goal. And a lot of people tell you you should focus exclusively on the process and it's really bad advice. You can only have a process if you have a goal. <laughs> um, and that's how you, get, you know, engage in deliberate practice. And so it's just really powerful to think who is your future. And by the way, because I had that goal, I was able to advance very quickly because I started blogging with a purpose. I wasn't just blogging because I liked blogging. I was blogging specifically to get the six-figure book deal. And so that was my process was facilitated by that goal. And when I wasn't getting the results I wanted, I changed my process. And, and, and I've noticed that a lot of people back in the day when they were blogging, even around the same time I started, none of them made a lot of progress because they didn't, in my opinion, they weren't committed to a future self. Like they were committed to maybe a process, which was being a creator or being a blogger, but they weren't committed to a goal. And because of that, their process didn't lead to improved writing. Uh, it just led to more output, but not getting better. It's literally exactly like going to the gym over and over without a goal. Um, so anyways, it's, it's, it's powerful to think about that because with a clarified goal and then you develop that process and you start moving in that direction, building confidence, your motivation skyrockets and you want motivation. You want clarity. You want simplicity because that also clarifies your identity. Like when you're working towards a goal, you can then become that person. Like through the process of me writing hundreds of blog posts and then getting to the point where I got the book deal, I literally through that process became my future self. I became a professional writer because my identity was so clear. And because I was telling people, I'm, I'm going to become that person. I'm going to get a six figure book deal one day. Like, you know, and then I got it. And so it's, it's, it's powerful to organize your identity around your future self and then to pursue a goal and then go through a process that allows you to become your future self. Um, so yeah, that's how you do it. And do you, do you actively encourage people to tell other people about their goals? Or yes, a hundred percent. That clarifies your identity. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, the, so people say you shouldn't because then you'll start getting negative feedback, which will limit you and scare you or make you, you know, not want to do it because people's opinions hurt you. But it is the most, one of the most powerful things you can do first off to upgrade your subconscious, but also to have a clear sense of identity that when you, when you decide who you want to be, you need to start telling everyone about that. That becomes your new narrative. That becomes your new story. Again, identity is shaped through story. And so rather than telling everyone who you've been and what you've been doing, again, a big aspect of this is that your, your future is not predicted from your past, right? Like that's rather than having your past be the greatest predictor of your future, you want your future to be the greatest predictor of your present. Mm -hmm. You want your present to be predicted by the future you want. And so why wouldn't you tell people about who you're striving to become? Why wouldn't you tell people about what your goals are? Um, if, if you start telling everyone about who you are and what you're going to accomplish, first off, 
you're going to, you're going to start to feel accountable to that. Second off, you're going to start to quickly realize who are the people who support you and who don't support you. Mm. Um, and then you're going to be required to start living it and moving forward because people will call you out certain people and you'll want that accountability and you need that accountability. And then you should start surrounding yourself with people who will encourage your goals and who will help you get there. And so, you know, I'll just be blunt and I'll just tell you my goal right now. <laughs> it's just so that we can get that off, off the cuff. My number one major goal is to sell 10 million copies of personalities and permanent. And the reason why that's my goal is because my future self in two or three years from now is going to be in a financial and in kind of a, a situation where I can then focus on my next journey, you know, and that's going to actually be interestingly going back to more missionary work style stuff, but more in a leadership fashion. Uh, I'll still write books in the future, but I want to position myself through this book to be able to essentially retire and also to put myself in a situation where I can dedicate a ton of my time back to investing in missionaries because that's where my whole life changed. Um, so my future self is doing a little bit of different things than I'm doing right now. And the one major goal that's going to help me do that is to sell 10 million copies of this book. Um, and so that now is shaping my process and my daily behaviors and, and what I'm up to now because I'm so committed to that new future self. And so it just really organizes and clarifies and makes things simple. Um, and you build confidence by, by making progress towards goals that are way above your current situation. So that goal, selling 10 million books, is an absurdly ridiculous goal. But as I make progress towards it, I build confidence. And as I build confidence, I begin to, first off, have more motivation, but also believe more and more that it's possible. And it becomes my new identity. It just becomes my expectation. Yeah, no, very interesting. Um, you also said... Uh just talking about like when you when you're telling other people about your goals and stuff it's like you're making making a commitment to your future self and you're talking about you were out for a drive one day and you seen this like quite overweight person out for a run with their their t-shirt off and they're sweating and you were like hugely inspired by it because this guy is basically making a commitment to his future self and he's being public about it he's being public about it exactly yeah yeah yeah, yeah, I saw this very overweight man, stretch marks, just sweaty out in the Florida sun, you know, and I just thought, this guy is courageous, like this guy is out running and like this guy could be made fun of because of his weight, but like he doesn't care, like that's, that's again why you need to tell your goals to everyone is because it takes courage and because you need to stop caring so much and, let, and stop letting people dictate, like this is, you know, this has been heavily researched, but the number one deathbed regret is that people regret not having the courage to live the life that they wanted. Instead, they lived the life that other people expected them to have. And so you need to tell your goals to everyone rather than living a life that you think other people expect you to live. Um, rather than doing what other people expect you to do, which is what you were doing yesterday, which would be the predictable thing to do. Rather than doing what people expect you to do, you need to do what you really want to do. You need to tell people what you're really going to do and you, you need to stop doing what's expected. And you need to start making what's expected, what you ultimately want to be and who you want to do. And that's going to take shifting not only your own perspective of yourself, but other people's perspective over time. It's like that quote from Stephen Covey. It's like if the ladder's leaning against the wrong wall, every step is a step in the wrong direction or whatever, you know? Yes. Have you ever had your ladder against the wrong wall? Of course. Yeah. I mean, one thing that's crucial, again, to understand is that your future self sees things better than your current self. And so to some degree, my, 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 my ladder is currently leaning against maybe some aspect of a wrong wall that my future self will correct, but I'm moving it forward. You know, so like right now, 
I'm pursuing, in my opinion, better goals than my former self was. Like, I'll, I'll just admit, like, with willpower doesn't work. My main goal was to hit the New York Times bestseller list. Um, and from, you know, although it was moving me in the direction of my future self, that was also kind of a goal leaning against the wrong wall. Uh, it, that goal wasn't necessarily required to get me where I wanted to go, even though I thought it was. And so I had to fail at that in order to realize it was the wrong goal. And that's, that's okay. That's called learning. So, it, you know, even though you're, you're moving forward right now, your future self is going to slightly redirect your ship because your future self has perspectives and understanding that your current self doesn't have. And so they can, they can kind of readjust your direction in a better way. And that's, that's part of learning as well. Mm. So just a couple more questions now, Ben, before we finish up. Uh, what does a typical day look like for you? Um, wake up around five. If it's not coronavirus season, I'll go to the gym. You know, on my way to the gym, I'll listen to like, you know, great audio of some sort. Uh, before I go into the gym, I usually journal for about 15 minutes, just about what's going on in my life, what my goals are, what my focus is, what my commitments are usually work out for like 45 minutes. And then uh, right now, because I'm kind of getting ready to launch these two books, I'm doing a, an insane amount of podcasts. Um, and so those podcasts are all scheduled for me by someone on my team, but usually they start somewhere between eight and 9am. And they usually go to about 3pm to some degree, you know, there's obviously gaps and stuff like that. But before 8am I do, before I start on all the podcasts, I do a lot of writing, you know, like right now I'm writing who not how, which is the book that comes out in October. But once I'm done with that, I'm going to be blogging like a beast, um, which is something I honestly haven't done much of since 2018. Um, so usually exercise journal, write before 8am. And then right now doing a ton of podcasts until three, uh, I stop at three because that's when my kids get out of school. And I, you know, my office here is about 10 minutes away from my kid's school. And usually I would pick them up and you know, go home and be with my family. Now they're all being homeschooled. <laughs> so, uh, leave here at three, go home, be with my family, be totally present, play with my kids, help them with schoolwork, uh, have dinner, you know, do our evening routine with the kids to get them to bed and then just relax with my wife. And so after three, I'm just totally in family mode. Um, go to bed between like nine and 10, you know, usually closer to nine thirty, and then wake up at five o'clock and do it again. That's awesome, man. Well, Ben, thank you so much for taking the time through this interview. Um, I highly recommend anybody listening to pick up a copy, a copy of Personalities and Permanent. It's a, it's a powerful book. It has the potential. Like if you, if you, if you do read it and you do the exercise, then it has the potential to really transform your life. So I highly, highly recommend it. Um, ben, where can people find you online? Yeah, benjaminhardy.com. Um, I, you know, when you buy personalities and permanent, you can go to my website, benjaminhurry.com. And there's a lot of free bonuses and giveaways. If you, if you buy the book, free online courses and things like that. So, uh, definitely get the book. It'll totally rock your world in a great way. And, uh, just really glad to be on this show. Thank you, man. Thanks very much, Ben. Great to talk and speak soon. All right. All right, brother. Hey guys, Niall here again. Just one more quick thing before you go. If you're interested in getting early access to our latest psychology lectures and discounts on our live events, don't forget to go to theweekenduniversity.com forward slash podcast and enter your email to sign up. That's theweekenduniversity.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed the show.